bring you greetings this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Arnie already mentioned it's a special service. It's a special service in life of Karen Lillian and also in the life of our congregation and uh, their families. Our focus this morning, the title of my meditations is Blessings of Baptism. And uh, I have five things. There could be probably many more, but there's five things that I like to focus on primarily as I think about baptism. And uh, the first one I'd like to turn to is in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, the uh, last two verses, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28. The first blessing that I I see in baptism, it gives us identity. And uh, the world makes a lot of, places a lot of emphasis on identity. We have trademarks, we have patents, we have... um, What's the word I want? Clothing that gives identity. Is there a word for that? A logo? A logo, maybe, perhaps. Uh, go on with trademarks, perhaps. perhaps but name brand is what I wanted, okay? <laughs> uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What does it mean? Think about that expression here. What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? I was wondering if J.J. could bring Carson up here for a minute. Carson is my youngest grandson, and the reason I selected him, I love all of my grandchildren, but the reason I selected him, I figured he would probably be the least intimidated. And uh, he's just a little over a year old. But uh, you look at him, I was talking about identity. Now, unfortunately, in this illustration, he doesn't have a lot of my looks in him. Probably all of you would say he's, he's a yoder more than he is an old, right? But, uh, you know, he's, he's a child. And, and today we're talking about an experience of, in a spiritual expression, bringing new children into the family of God. And... Uh, you know, there's, we, we think he's cute, we, we look out for him, we take care of him. Matter of fact, he has this little, little uh, I don't know what you call it, at home there. He'll come up and I'll be sitting there, or visiting or whatever, he'll give me a little pat. And then walk off like nothing happened. So then I pat him back, and we have this little game between us. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I carry with me some identity. Uh, I've got... I've got the Nolt identity in me. I've got muster identity in me. I've got good identity in genetics. I've got uh, good genetics. Name good. Uh, I've got Wanger genetics in me. Uh, you know, so I, I'm, I'm a combination of a lot of different people in the past. And that can be good or can be bad. And we're not here to debate that. But uh, Thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ, he can take regardless what genetics you have in your background and can use it for his honor and glory. We submit it to him. Uh, So that's a precious thought. But we're talking about identities. This morning we're talking about these two girls giving their identity to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Naturally, I talked about the genetics we carry. Uh, you can't get away from it. Uh, it's there. But the same is true spiritually, I believe. You think about the Father, the one who has provided and cared for you and us as, children, as his children daily in a spiritual and physical way. Uh, I thought about Jesus in his early ministry when he taught the disciples to pray. They asked him, they said, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, it's a familiar portion of Scripture, but it, it clearly places us in the hand of God completely. And I don't care how much technology we have, I don't care how uh, self-subsistence or sustaining we think we are, we are children of God and we are in His hands. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse uh, 8. Be not ye therefore... Pardon me. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask. After this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Stop there. But it's giving us identity with the Father. You as a child, we as a child of His. Uh, the Son, the one who gave Himself, the one who gave His life for our redemption and loved us more than any other. I think we talked about that in the Sunday school lesson, that God so loved the world. And I think that's not, it's talking about the people of the world, not the system of the world. And that's the difference. And, uh, you know, for us, it, 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 it's a little more difficult sometimes to differentiate between the people and the system. We, we put people and their, their philosophies and their ideas together. And, uh, but God can do that. And I think we need to love uh, as God loved. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son into the world to condemn, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the Son. That's the role of the Son. In the name of the Father and the Son, God sent his Son. Do you realize the price that the Son paid for you this morning? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what convicted you of sin, convicts us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit that draw, drew us unto God. And uh, again, uh, it's that Holy Spirit that continues to indwell the life of the believer. Uh, John 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, Jesus speaking here, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. How important is it to be baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost? It clearly gives you identity, and embracing uh, the complete Godhead. The Holy Spirit is, is what will guide you, and, and continue to lead you, and draw you in the way of Christ. 
and it also gives you peace. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's that Holy Spirit that will bring peace into your heart and into your experience. So the first blessing of baptism is the identity it gives us with God. Uh, the second blessing I thought about was the blessing it is to us as a congregation. Uh, it makes you a member of Prairie Mennonite Church. Uh, we're just a small church. I thought about that, Prairie. Okay, it's geographical. Sounds like a logical name. I wasn't here when that name was selected. I was here when we uh, legally registered with the state, I guess. But uh, and I didn't have any questions about it. You know, it, it would have seemed a little bit out of out of context if we just said Hilltop Mennonite Church or, uh, you know, Lakeside or well, Riverside. Could have worked, I guess. But, you know, it's geographical. Uh, on the prairie and even outside of the town of Blooming Prairie. But I was impressed as I thought about you two, uh, Kara and Lillian, becoming part of the congregation, the, the local body of believers. You know, and, and the impact, the far-reaching impact of, of this little local body of believers, you know, from... Haiti to Guatemala to Belize, uh, other places in the U.S., from Arizona to Washington to Pennsylvania to South Carolina. You know, people have taken a portion of prairie with them to those locations. And uh, so that's kind, of, that's kind of interesting if you stop and think about that aspect of it. Here we are, just a little church on the prairie, but the far-reaching effect. And I don't know where these two girls are, are going to go. Maybe they'll stay right here, and, and, you know, that's wonderful if they do. But if they do go somewhere... You know, they're taking a portion of this church, this body, along with them. Well, what about the rest of the name? Prairie. You know, it gives us distinctions, gives you identity to the local body of believers. Uh, the name Mennonite is attached to it. And uh, I thought about that for quite a while, and that's a pretty broad term today. Uh, I'm not ready to drop it from our name. I don't think we ought to. Uh, and that could be debated another time and place. But... You know, it, it, I think we need to go back to what it stands for. A follower of Man of Simons. Uh, you know, and you stop and think about what it meant to him to be a follower of Christ. Uh, in his time, uh, in, in Man of Simons time, in Man of Simons time, becoming baptized as a believer meant the price of death. You stop and think about that. When Menno Simons was rebaptized, I think it was Obi Phillips baptized Menno. Is that right, right? Or don't you know? Or Dirk? Okay. I better not say. I read the SSD, I didn't mark it down. But anyway, when he was rebaptized, it had the price of death on his head for that rebaptism. Is it any different today? Maybe our culture, maybe our world is. is uh, uh, condoning of our beliefs and practices but you know in a spiritual sense it places you as a target of Satan because you are identifying yourself with God so in a sense it hasn't really changed in, in one reality uh, Menno Simon stood for believers baptism versus infant baptism uh, the, the communion emblems which we're not observing this morning uh, the, you know, he, would have, he would have embraced the symbolism rather than the actual body of the bread and the, and the wine being the actual body and blood of Christ. I'd like to just think as we think embracing what, what Menno Simon stood for, and I think our, our statement of faith and practice, and I actually, I'm going to just read through them briefly here. 
I, I preached a sermon, I think, from each one of these uh, statements some time back. Number one, that the Bible is the standard, the inspired Word of God, and the authority for what we believe. This, this Bible here, this Word of God, is, is you know, our standard of belief and conduct. It is to be willingly accepted and obeyed as the rule of life and conduct. Number two, we believe in the triune God who is creator and sustainer of all visible and invisible things. And we already talked about that. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Number three, that man was created by God in his image. And being deceived by Satan in the garden into disobeying God's command brought upon himself and his descendants the condemnation of sin and the need of a Savior. We already talked about that. It doesn't matter what our name is. We need a Savior. Number four, that Jesus, the Son of God, was born of a virgin, died for the sin of man on the cross, rose the third day, ascended to heaven to intercede for those who believe in him. Number five, that the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost to, to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come, and to dwell in the hearts of believers, and to guide the church. We already talked about that. The importance of the Holy Spirit living within you. I can't physically, I can't physically see that, but we can see the evidences of that. You know, just like Carson, you know, little child, but yet he's got a soul. Uh, we believe that our children are safe until they come to the age of accountability. And uh, you have reached that age where the Holy Spirit has prompted you of your need of a Savior. And you've committed your lives to Him. Number six. In the literal return of the Lord, of our Lord, in the bodily resurrection, both of the just and of the unjust, in the gathering of his own to himself, bringing judgment upon the wicked, and to consummate all things, and establish a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Number seven, that the church is a body, and that's what we're talking about, being identified with a local body, and the importance of that. That the church is the body of called out ones, born again, having had an experience with Jesus as the Lord and Savior and commissioned to observe the ordinances and to live holy lives until he comes. This is not just a passing whim. This is something that you're making a vow and a commitment that is, should last through till the Lord Jesus returns. Number eight, that through repentance and faith in Christ Jesus, man is restored to sonship with God, thus escaping the torments of hell and obtaining the bliss of heaven that God has prepared for the righteous for all eternity. And that's the exciting part about it this morning is that we're, we're saving souls. We're dealing with, with, with the spiritual nature of man and preparing him for eternity with God. Well, Prairie Mennonite Church. You know, it's a house of worship. It's a house of prayer. It's a place of fellowship. It's a place of teaching. It's a place of instruction. It's a place of spiritual nurture. You this morning, Karen and Lillian, are becoming a part of Prairie Mennonite Church. We may glibly say that, but you know, you stop and analyze what all is involved in that. And then we think of what you can contribute to that. It makes me feel blessed that we're adding to the body, the local body. You know, it's, it's an evidence of growth. And, uh, you know, uh, turning to a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I had to think about this verse as I, I thought about our local body of believers. And, uh, you know, we're not perfect. And uh, I don't think anybody here would say we are perfect. But these verses here, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's our motivation. That's our strife. That's what we're striving for, for perfection in Christ Jesus. Uh, 
And I guess I won't ever read these verses without thinking about Brother Paul Shirk. And you all know what it is. Uh, what is right, what is not right, and how to get it right, and how to keep it right. Those are the four truths of those, those thoughts in that verses. The doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction. And, uh, you know, that's what Prayer Mennonite Church is all about, I believe. It should be. It should be an aim. It should be a goal of each one of us to, to grow in the perfection of Jesus Christ. By, not by programs necessarily, but by simply feeding on the Word of God. Through fellowship, through instruction, through prayer. Uh, and I'm not saying we can't ever make changes, can't ever make different, have different ideas. But it needs to be, our focus needs to be on the Word of God and on, and on Christ. And uh, then we will grow in His image. Well, the third blessing, I like to think that it's a symbolic focal event in your life this morning to Karen and Lillian. And for all of us to look back. So we were meeting in the room this morning, Dennis talked about reflecting back. For those of you who have made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, reflect back on that commitment. You know, this baptismal service here and this water here by the podium here, you know, doesn't make a Christian any more than a wedding ceremony makes a marriage. Does that make sense to you? This actual service here, the water, doesn't do anything more to make a Christian than a, than, a, than a wedding ceremony does to make a marriage. It's part of it. It's important. Don't get me wrong. But, and it's only the beginning. And that's, what I'm, I was, that's why I brought Carson up here. You know, we, we, uh, we're concerned about our small children. We look out for them. For, we care for them. Uh, do we express the same care for the newborn babes in Christ as we do a small child? Um, June 23rd. 2013 is a date that you should mark in your memory. You have answered and have made these vows between you and God and the church, you and the rest of the audience here as witnesses of that, of that confession. And I'm, I'm sure you've uh, read over the vows before, I'm assuming. that uh, I'm just going to read them. These questions that will be asked, similar, very similar. Number one, do you believe in one true, eternal, and almighty God who is creator and preserver of all visible and invisible things? Number two, do you believe in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, that he is the only Savior of mankind, that he died upon the cross and gave himself a ransom for our sins, that through him we might have eternal life? Number three, do you believe in the Holy Ghost, which proceedeth from the Father and the Son, and he is an abiding comforter, sanctifying the hearts of men and guides them into all truth? And number four, are you truly sorry for your past sins and are willing to renounce Satan, the world, and all the works of darkness and your own carnal will and sinful desires? And number five, do you promise by the grace of God and the aid of the Holy Spirit to submit yourselves to Christ and his word and faithfully abide in the same until death? Those are the vows that you will be making uh, just shortly. And I don't know where, again, I don't know what God's plan is for all of your life, but... I know that you're in God's perfect plan today. God is not willing that any should perish. And you have answered that call. Uh, I, be, I, I know God has a perfect plan for your life. Uh, but my desire would be for you too, Kara and Lillian this morning, that as you become a part of this church and with your families, that we as a church could be a channel through which God's plan for your lives would be facilitated. And I think that's when the church is blessed. That's when God's kingdom is blessed. And uh, 
You know, even if this local body of believers were to be dissolved, actually in our Articles of Incorporation, we have a dissolution clause. You're required to have it by the state laws of Minnesota. What happens to this building? What happens to the assets of Prairie Mennonite Church? Well, you've got to have a dissolution clause. Well, if, if, you know, God forbid that would happen, but if it would happen, even if you, you can no longer be a member of this body of believers, I know, and I can have assured to tell you that God will continue to build his church. In Matthew chapter 16, let me just read those verses to you. They're familiar verses, but I want to just re, re, uh, draw your attention to them. Matthew 16, Jesus spe speaking here with Peter, Matthew 16, verses 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjuna, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it's of the surety that I can tell you this morning that even if this body were to be dissolved, we were to get scattered because of persecution or for whatever reason under the sun, God will continue to build his church, and there will be a body of believers that you can associate with. And uh, you need to find that fellowship of believers. God has promised that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, you know, this, this building, this structure, this entity is, is not eternal. But the souls in it are eternal. And that's the part I want to emphasize. And we need to be continuing to be a part of the uh, broader body of believers. He is still building his church today and, it's, ex and, it, and it's, it's an exciting time in the experience of our church. And it's a real blessing to see children that embrace the faith of their fathers and mothers. You know, God gives us, we're talking about symbolic focal event. We can look back, many of us can reflect back on our, our experiences, time when we were baptized, committed our lives to the Lord, and gave our vows before the church and, and the Lord. You know, God gives us these external symbols and reminders. You might say, well, if it's not so important, well, I don't want to say it isn't important. I think it is important. I think any child of God that has named the name of Jesus desires to be baptized, even if it means death, even like in Menno Simon's case, situation. Um, I had to think about the wisdom of God in, in giving us symbolic uh, illustrations to impact our lives. You know, in the Old Testament, he gave them the ribbon of blue around their garments after they were delivered from Egypt. He said, he, he instructed them to have that ribbon of blue. And you might say, well, how significant is that? It, it, but, you know, God in his wisdom gave us these symbolic little uh, illustrations so that we can be reminded a time and time again in this situation of the vows that you have made today between God and yourself and between God and the church. Who am I to say that we should drop these illustrations? God, the all-wise God, who knew, who created us, and made us, and designed us. God, in his love and understanding of human nature, knew we needed all the help. And that's H-E-L-P capitalized. God knew, in my situation, we needed all the help we could get to keep focused on our, his claim on our lives. Well, the fourth blessing that I think of as I think of baptism is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 
I'll not read the, there's a bigger text here we could read, but I'm going to just break into verse 21. It's talking about um, God saving Noah there through the ark, which the ark, we all know the ark is a type of the church. And, uh, you know, in a sense, you're coming into the ark this morning, uh, the church. But verse 21, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fourth blessing I see is, is the blessing of a good conscience toward God. You know, a good conscience, a clear conscience between yourself and God this morning is priceless. It's, we can't place a price tag on that, can we? We want to preserve that. We want to take care of that at all costs. Young Christians, I, as I meditated about that thought as far as having a good conscience toward God, you know, many times young Christians struggle with sensitivity. I like to say there's a balance between sensitivity and functionality and joyfulness. Uh, if, our, if our sensitivity is destroying our joyfulness or making us unfunctional in the kingdom, you know, I think we need to look at it. Uh, I want to say that cautiously because... You know, Satan can take that, that conscience that, that God has given us and, and, and can destroy the peace that he wants us to have and he wants his children to have. But on the other hand, I think we need to openly look at what the conscience is bringing to us. Is there legitimacy there? And sometimes it might be looking back at this day, June 23rd, 2013. I have made my, my vows, I have made my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and, you know, that settles it. But if there are issues in your life that need to be dealt with, but again, think of those three things, sensitivity, functionality, and joyfulness. Those three things are three things that go hand in hand in, as young Christians. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's sad when you see somebody that's, you know, they're not enjoying their Christian life because of the, you know, they're, they're distracted by all the, the possibilities, I guess you'd say, that could be wrong in their life. But there comes a time when we need to trust the Lord with what we have encountered. And I think God wants us to be functional, too. God expects us to be performers. Uh, he wants us to be workers and servants in his kingdom. And when that affects us and, 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 and makes us unfunctional, you know, I think we need to look at what's causing that. The blessings of a good conscience toward God are priceless. Preserve that, Lillian and, and Kara, at all cost. Uh, read his word daily. The Holy Spirit inspired this word. I don't know if you've thought about that. The Holy Spirit inspired this word. And that's what's living within you. How are you going to feed that Holy Spirit? How's that Holy Spirit going to guide you into all truth? I think it's through reading the word of God. That's the way I experience it. Now that spirit lives within us, within me, each one of us that have named the name of Christ, and we need to feed that Holy Spirit with the Word of God. Pray often. Ask others to pray with you and for you. Remember, after you pray, to listen. The answer could be something better than actually what you ask for. That's the way God is. God oftentimes gives us better gifts than we ask. We may not always fully understand the answer, or see the benefit of it at the time, but a lot of times God gives us better gifts than we ask for. Romans chapter 6. 
So I thought about the blessings of a clear conscience, good conscience before God. I thought of this passage here in Romans. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's not a real long chapter, but it talks about our experience as children of God. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Did you think about that? Baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death, <coughs> pardon me, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even, to, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. For when, we, for when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things? Whereof ye are now ashamed, for the end of all those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Serving God, following the admonition here in Romans 6, will keep you in a clear conscience before God. The fifth blessing that I see in baptism is in Matthew chapter 3. And that fifth blessing is you're following the example of Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 17. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open, and unto him he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
As I think about the blessing of following the example of Christ, you know, really isn't that what Christianity is all about? Following the example of Christ in baptism, in humility. We talked about that in the Sunday school class this morning. In humility, in servanthood, in loving. That's what Christianity is all about. Following his example. It's a commandment that Christ literally observed here. You know, none of us are indispensable. I, as I read this account here of John baptizing Jesus, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, of the Last Supper when Jesus was there wanting to wash the disciples' feet. You know, it kind of reminded me of Peter's response. You know, when he came to Peter and Peter said, No, no, not me. You're not going to wash my feet. Uh, but you know, after it was explained to John, you know, Jesus said to John there in verse 15, he said, Suffer it to be so now. The time was right. Jesus wanted it done, that baptism. He wanted to experience that baptism. And then John, it says, he, then he suffered him, or allowed him to be, be, to be baptized. And we see the, uh, the, the verification of the Spirit and the audible voice coming from heaven. Uh, the Spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon him a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, I've never baptized anybody. I've assisted. But, you know, I, I had to think, what were John's thoughts? Here was Jesus, who he knew and recognized as the Son of God, and asking him to be baptized of him. You know, I, I imagine my response would have been the same. Probably your responses were the same. You know, really, I... You're the son of God. You don't need to be baptized. But it says Jesus suffered it to be so now. Uh, it's just an impressive thought as we think of following the example of Jesus, even to some of the smaller details of our... And I'm not saying this is a smaller detail. It's, it's a monumental, I believe, as we think of, of making this commitment publicly to, uh, to God, before God, and before the body of believers. This morning, my, bless, my uh, conclusion... To Karen Lillian, we'd like to welcome you into this fellowship of believers and look forward to your contribution to the church and wish you the Lord's blessing as you continue to grow in your life with him and walk with him daily.